Hi, I'm Dana Stevens. I'm Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with the Slate Spoiler Special podcast on The Golden Compass. And joining me is Dan Coyce of New York Magazine's Culture Vulture blog. Dan, how are you? Hi, I'm very well. Thanks. Dan, I have to say for this one, I as as tends to happen with the, the comic book movies we see together, I deliver myself utterly unto your hands because you are so much a creature of the Golden Compass book series that you named your firstborn after the heroine of the, the first book. That's true. And we saw the movie together the other night, and I confess that the uh, the diner conversation that we had afterward about the movie was far more entertaining and enlightening than anything that happened during the movie itself. So I want you to start off with a, a quick plot summary of The Golden Compass. The Golden Compass is the first of a potential trilogy of movies based on Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials trilogy. It's directed by Chris Weitz, and it is uh, set in a Europe in a world that is like ours, but slightly different in this world uh humans have soul animals that travel along with them at all times called demons which are uh, reflections of their sort of innermost person the story follows a young girl named lyra as she uh finds out that her parentage is not what she thought it was and embarks on a great adventure in search of well in the movie who knows what yeah, so that's this is where things start to go a bit awry for me. As far as the setup of the, the world of the Golden Compass, which I knew a little bit about because of the tremendously popular books that people are always telling me to read, which I have not read. Now, having seen the movie, I really wish I'd read the Golden Compass because I couldn't make head or tail of it. But even though the, the, there's this initial concept of this world where your soul is kind of external and follows you around like an animal is, is really cool, I have to say that after about the first 10 minutes, this movie completely, completely lost me story-wise. And I'm wondering what you think. Are these books impossible to make into a good movie? I mean, what what went wrong here? First of all, you agree that it's a muddled mess, no? Uh, I do agree that it's a muddled mess. This may be one of the rare examples of a terrible book adaptation that is still more pleasurable for fans of the book, if only because we were able to even have the slightest idea what was going on. I wonder about that. I wonder if there's going to be a big division between fans of the book like, well, there's people, there's non-readers of the book like me. But among fans of the book, I feel like there's maybe going to be the camp that say, well, at least I can follow the story and lord it over these poor fools who don't get it, like Dana. But then aren't there going to be a lot of people who feel really betrayed that their beloved Philip Pullman series is being made into a bunch of crappy movies? Sure. and I Presumably mean, a bunch if two more do get made. Well, or maybe not if this is not very well received. And it's entirely I mean, in many ways, I do feel upset by the movie. I feel particularly upset with the fact that Lyra, the character, has been watered down so into sort of a boring young girl, given that I named my daughter after that person. Right. You don't want her to turn out the, like a liar in this movie. Right, it's a little right. bit of a, of a typical priss from sort of a orphaned English girl right. movie. Well, I mean, I don't think that I don't think at all that this was necessarily an impossible task. I think that it is potentially an impossible task to make at two hours when the things that are clearly the most important to the producers are the action sequences and set pieces. Throughout the process of making this movie, it's gone through a number of different script revisions and a, a couple of different screenwriters. Tom Stopper did a draft at one point. Chris Weitz, who ended up writing this version, originally wrote a much longer version of the screenplay. The, the, that's the version that convinced the producers to give him the job in the first place. And you've place, read that version, right? Which I have read. And you I, thought it was far superior and would have been a better movie? Or? I think so, but it's possible that I think so only because it almost literally is the book page by page. And it would have been a, a long, form. long movie. It would have. It was about 150 pages long, the screenplay, and it would have been at least three hours long in film form. Well, so for readers of the book, can you talk a little bit about things that fell by the wayside, which maybe didn't in this original draft, but they certainly did between the book and the movie and what's missed the most? Um, A great deal of uh, the material 
in Lyra's relationship with uh, her, the, with the woman who turns out to be her mother, Mrs. Coulter, uh, played by Nicole Kidman, played by Nicole Kidman, is in the book and the original screenplay, but disappears from the movie. There's long sequences of her um, becoming gradually more and more disconcerted with with her mother as she travels with her around London. There are long stretches giving us much better ideas of the, the world of the Egyptians, the characters who take Lyra under her wing. There are long sequences giving us much better ideas of the characters of the Ice Bears, the the much-hyped characters, one of whom Lyra befriends, these great, enormous armored bears who have their own society in the frozen wastes of the North. There's a much longer sequence uh, of Lyra trapped in the experimental station, up north where uh the where horrible experiments are being done um and lastly and most dramatically as we talked about after the movie the book ends with a number of plot beats beyond where the movie ends the movie cuts off per maybe six or seven chapters before the end of the book and earlier screenplays earlier drafts of the screenplay of this movie continued the story to the tragic and extremely shocking ending of the book which is nowhere present in the movie at all right well i guess part of the question will be if another movie does get made do those tragic and shock shocking things which we can talk about even happen in the next movie or, or has hollywood essentially softened this story so much that that all the the sharp edges and dark corners have been locked off according to chris white's and what we're talking about here for those who know the book and for those who don't but just want it spoiled at the end of the book uh lyra has saved her close friend from her childhood roger from a perilous fate Thinking that she has saved him, she delivers him to her father, Lord Asriel, but unbeknownst to her, his intention is to kill that boy. And at the end of the book, he does. He kills that boy for his own purposes, which are to open up doors to another world. Lyra feels betrayed by her father and feels as though she has once again betrayed her friend and, been, and in fact is responsible for his death. The movie ends with Lyra and Roger happily sitting next to each other talking about the great adventures that lie before them. One of the most craven beggings for a sequel that I've ever seen at the yes. end of the movie, by the way. It essentially amounts to some kind of footnote, like, come give us $10 in a year. I mean, it does. it's one of the – I mean, it's, uh, it is a last scene of a movie that feels as though it was transcribed directly from, like, the marketing pitch uh, delivered by the marketing people at New Line about how we can turn this into a sequel. Yeah, it feels very tacked on, and it yes. made me, out of just pure pettiness, want there never to be a sequel made so that it would just always sort of lie out there in, in space forever, that ending. Right, like, you know, like the ill-fated ending of Hudson Hawk, where they look excitedly out into the great unknown at the further adventures that might face Hudson, Hudson Hawk. <laughs> According to Chris White's in interviews that he's done, his intention is to include the material from the end of book one at the beginning of movie two. He he says he's going to, from a pure plot standpoint, it seems impossible to imagine that he wouldn't because I simply couldn't understand how the plot could continue forward without that sacrifice being made. Because Roger has to die because half of book three is Lyra visiting him in the land of the dead. And the window to other worlds has to open because all of books two and three occur in other worlds. So Well, we'll just see whether they can get around the... the plot point of daniel craig's character lord Ezreal killing a child right? right when he's basically been set up as the good parent against nicole kidman's bad parent and by the way the very fact their parents is a huge spoiler right she doesn't find that, that out. Until that is a huge spoiler yes she does not find that out until later they are her parents and she believes she's an orphan well that's one thing i would like to talk about because that in the end i think was the thing that infuriated me the most about the movie there were things about the movie that i didn't mind at all as a fan of the books I didn't mind how gorgeous the movie looked. And for anyone who really loves the books, they will certainly love the visualization of all the things they've imagined 
in their heads. So all it these brought years. your interior world of the book it, to life. It, it did in a way that very few movies ever had, and that was fantastically That's done. That's saying a lot. It's saying a lot, and I'm glad that that 180 million dollars went somewhere. But the thing that that frustrated me most about the movie and that I think will frustrate many was the watering down and, and the making more palatable of many of the characters of the movie. Lord Azrael being the most glaring example in the movie. He is a cold and brutal and difficult man. He never shows a moment of warmth towards Lyra, even though she's his daughter, even when she tracks him down in the original version of the book and, and in the original version of the screenplay in the, in the frozen North to rescue him. He simply looks horrified that she's arrived and asks her what the hell she thinks she's doing. He describes his own daughter as a, an ignorant savage. And in the movie, Daniel Craig, either through direction or through his own choice, plays him as sort of a grumpy but generally warm guy. And the first shot we see of him is him smiling as he thinks of Lyra, which in and of itself is one more smile than he delivers in the entire trilogy of books. Right. As a character, he's imposing and impressive, and he is exactly the kind of character who you could imagine doing the amazing and impossible things that Azrael does in the books. In the movie, he is simply an adventurer. I mean, almost, you know. A kindly sort of, rogue. A kindly like rogue, an Indiana Jones type who's a little grumpy but has a heart of gold. Well, it may be, and we should probably wrap up on this, but it may be that, you know, the, the softening of his character is sort of goes hand in hand with the uh, the softening of the book's anti-clericalism, which I don't know that much about, but just read this great long piece by Hunter Rosen in the Atlantic Monthly about, I mean, obviously the, the anti-Catholic position of the books, which are somewhat of a screed against the Catholic Church, as I understand, right? There, it's been softened. But then uh, by the same token, Daniel Craig, Lord Ezra, who represents, I guess, science, right? This sort of Faustian scientist who's mm-hmm. the opposite of the church, somebody who's trying to find out about pure knowledge of other universes for knowledge's sake, also in the book comes off as someone brutal and ruthless. So it's philosophically a lot more complex than anything the movie has time to even give a second to. Right. I mean, a lot has been made of the of the movie's softening of the anti-religious message of the books. But the movie also, by that token, by softening Lord Ezreal so much, also really kind of softens as, uh, the anti-science and anti-reason aspect. The whole of debate the books is just well. blunted on both sides. Yeah, there's basically. really no debate at all. It, it ends up being a very soft discussion of free will and the importance of doing what's right and blah 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 blah. Following blah. your dream, having courage, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I mean, to tell you the truth, if I didn't sort of know from you know previous co- and, and post movie interesting conversations about the books that there was this sort of great cosmological debate happening throughout the books. The movie would just basically be about a little girl running around with a scary bear king. I mean, I was very unable to follow much beyond here's the good guys, here's the bad guys, and who's going to get the little gold compass, which essentially functions as sort of like the ultimate Blackberry of the future, right? right. It has all right. information from the beginning of time if you just know how to consult it correctly. Right, if you put your mind in the right place. Yeah, so to sum up, I would say... It's unrecommended? It's unrecommended. I mean, it is gorgeous to look at, one of the prettier movies to look at I've seen in a long time. But, but what about two heartbroken fans of the book? Would you say stay away completely? I'd say set your expectations really low. Maybe put some earplugs in and go in and just watch. <laughs> and a blindfold? And, no, keep keep your eyes open, but put your earplugs in. Go in and watch. And then when you get home, imagine the movie that it could have been. Oh, that's so sad. It's tragic. Yes, my poor daughter will never know. The glorious drama that could have That's been. That's right. Made Are out you going to protect life. Lyra from the knowledge of what her movie became? We'll let her read the books, but we'll never let her see them. Until <laughs> she's 18, the age of consent has passed, and she's off to the uh, movies. I mean, if she's willing to divorce us, to legally separate <laughs> from us, sure, but otherwise, no. Well, Dan, thanks a lot for, uh, for coming in to discuss The Golden Compass. My pleasure. And for Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.